0: I got the city on fire. I
1: ain't woman, that's a goddamn lie. Whoa, really, don't I like really know? Really, don't I like really know? They say I got the city on fire. I ain't woman, that's a goddamn lie. Woo I really like that intro a lot. Me too. It's I feel really like, good. remember last week when we like whistled it in?
2: Yeah. I think probably a lot of people just like heard that and then stopped listening right away. Yeah, no, they were, like, I'm like these idiots. I'm like, about to
1: check the statistics after this. My my guess is like average consumption time was like the 20 <laughs> seconds, seconds that was the whistling, and they were like, uh, uh-uh, yeah. uh, I'm not. I
2: would I would dipped pretty fast too. Yeah. actually. actually, I it, mean, was, like, it was it was a good. decent
1: like, beat. Like it wasn't yeah. that bad. Yeah, that was that was on the on I've looked gotten
2: like, a <laughs> lot of I've gotten a lot of hate from it from, from wait people. really yeah wait who I'm not gonna say who but
1: it's hard to be a little Danny Brown actually you know yeah you can't shout out Danny Brown shout out Detroit shout out Michigan. Shout out Southeast Michigan. Shout out the Lower Peninsula. Shout out, like, the Great Lakes. Shout out the Great Lakes. Are you done? Not yet. Shout out Cars. Cars? Shout out Coney Islands. Shout out Deindustrialization.
2: You know, I have the editing power to just cut all of this out.
1: You really do, but you're not gonna. I probably
2: will. This week, we got a new segment, uh, Bro or No. Uh, We're going to go with some figures from pop culture and potentially history and talk about whether they're a bro or not.
1: I'm ready. I'm ready for
2: it. Who's your first uh,
1: first person up on the chopping block? My first figure is O.J. Simpson.
2: He did, like, kill some people, but on the other hand, before that, like, probably. But the glove didn't fit. (sighs) Yeah. That's the thing, like... I don't want to definitively say that I know. Like I watched, I watched the ten part series on on Netflix, and it was really good. Cuba Gooding Jr. Fantastic, definitely mm. a bro. But I don't know. I mean, it, did he? A lot of people, most people think he did it. Yeah. I don't. I don't really know. Before that, he was definitely a bro. I would say. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's hard for him. I don't know. There was that, there was like that whole thing with OJ and like trying to distance himself from black culture and black people in general. Interesting. Right? I mean, yeah. so, like, I don't know. That's not a very bro-like thing to do. Like, when you're a bro, like, you stick with your people.
2: I don't know. I Perhaps I don't know OJ well enough. Because then he also had all that stuff with, like, stealing like uh, like stealing sport, like sports memorabilia. And he, like, kidnapped somebody.
1: Yeah, he did do that. And he definitely killed that person in the prison, too. Like, I don't know about that first murder trial, but, like, yeah. I, I'm going to go with not a bro.
2: I, I'm going to go with not a bro, but need to examine further. Yeah. Because, like, same. he could have been a bro in his early days, potentially. Before it
1: before yeah. hit the fan.
2: Yeah. But he also low-key, like, by the transitive effect... Gave us the Kardashians because they got famous because the Kardashians
1: came, are not bros. I'm just gonna put that out there.
2: That's what I'm saying. Like th- they got famous because his their dad was the lawyer for OJ Simpson. Right. Like, that's literally how they. That's got how they famous. got
1: their money and that's how they started the show.
2: Well, they got their money because of the whole like sex tape thing. But like that like oh, put yeah, them on a year. path to, to like towards fame. So I would say like just based on that alone, because he gave us that, I'm gonna say not a bro.
1: Yeah, not a bro.
2: I'm gonna stay in the sports world and go with uh, Kobe Bryant, bro or no. Ooh, if he hadn't, see, so tough because, like, I know these are, uh, we're, picking up, we're, we're picking up tough ones. We're picking up
1: tough yeah. ones because,
2: like, for Kobe, if
1: it wasn't for that, like, assault and rape thing in, like, 03 mm-hmm. and 04, definitely. But, like, I don't, and I, I'm also, it's also conflicted about that because, like, his career continued. Like, he obviously yeah. was very successful after that Super and, like, successful. has won an Oscar, like, even since he retired. Yeah. So, like, no one even brings it up anymore. Yeah. But, like, it's still there. I don't know. Like, I've, I always feel like, on the one hand, like, great player and, like, has done a lot of philanthropic work since then. But, like, it doesn't take away the that he did, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know.
2: It's interesting. It's, like, what. it's just interesting what we choose to forgive, like, culturally and what we choose to not forgive. Yeah. Because, like, if that had happened, like, more recently, I feel yeah. like he wouldn't be forgiven, you know?
1: No, nah, we would have canceled Kobe Bryant.
2: That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah so the, like- Lakers,
1: the Lakers would have cut him
2: yeah they would have cut him or maybe they would they, they have. probably wouldn't have I don't cut him. know they 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 like, would have cul- gotten flack for not cutting culturally him. I think that it would have been like a bigger deal you know like it it wasn't it just kind of he just kind of kept moving forward after that. yeah like
1: yeah. he he was like acquitted or whatever like the trial didn't go yeah. um and then like yeah that was that was the end of that all
2: right, final verdict bro or no Kobe Bryant, I'm going a lot of people are gonna hate you after this lot, every, you
1: everyone's gonna hate me no matter what I say. <laughs> And there's no easy middle ground either, so I can't wear my way out of it like I normally do. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with bro. Yeah. I'm gonna go with bro, um, which sucks and which hurts me to say, because like I don't want to be reinforcing that culture, but he's also Kobe Bryant.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna go with bro question yeah. mark. Bro four question marks. Like you know you know how like I'm just going one question mark because I I I care about grammar yeah i'm just going i'm just going bro question mark bro question i mark. think he's more towards more towards the bro
1: i'm gonna go bro with a bunch yeah, you of you can't dots. change your answer i'm now. changing my answer no you can't
2: you can't you, change, you can't change could, off my answer
1: if i could change my answer i didn't realize we were bringing in punctuation into this if i could add some punctuation to my answer bro, you gotta make your own it would rule, just be a bunch, it'd be, be a bunch of with it you're right um it'd just be a bunch of dots at the end like bro okay, like there's more to the story than just bro. interesting you know got what you, i mean got you okay who's up next who is up next? That's a really good question. Um, Theodore Roosevelt.
2: Big bro. Big bro. Big time baller. Yeah. I don't even need to think about that he, one. He like he's an, he's wrangled,
1: he wrangled mooses.
2: He wrangled mooses. He did so much for our national park. I don't even know how you wrangle a moose. Like, what, what do you need to do to learn how to wrangle mooses? Uh, I mean, it can't be that much different from wrangling horses. You just got to be stronger probably, you know? So like more of a bad Stronger, I guess.
1: All right, who's your next person?
2: Uh, my next person is Kermit the Frog. Oh, big bro. Yeah, why? Big bro. I don't even remember that much about Kermit. Like,
1: wait, what show was Kermit even on? I feel so stupid saying he was
2: that. On a, I don't think he was on that show, was he?
1: Wait, no, Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah, Sesame Street. Sesame Street. Street. Yeah, yeah. Kermit is a bro. Yeah, he really Kermit is. is such a bro.
2: Why do you think so?
1: I don't know. It's like, because he could... He's always just like singing songs and doing stuff and like living his life happily you know, like just going about his business, and like doesn't Kermit always like pick up the other Sesame Street characters, like when they're when they're down? Exactly. Yeah, I I don't know. Like it's it's just like. He just gives off the vibe, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, what Kermit you the
2: Frog, I, I agree, big time, bro. Um, he's always there for his buddies. He just kind of, like, hangs out and does his thing. He doesn't, like, he's not super ambitious. He just kind of, like, sits back. He knows his place, but then he's always there for his friends. And he doesn't judge, which I which I really yeah. love. I think the meme of him, like, sipping his tea is, is dope. And, uh, yeah, big time, bro
1: all right we got we got a couple more for you we're bringing it back we're recording this at stanford studios this is a broadcast on kzsu so we're gonna bring it back to stanford first stanford person i'm gonna give you is philip zimbardo the dude who ran the stanford prison Experiment.
2: oh shoot this is a tough one i think overall he is he's a pretty controversial figure because um you know while that did so much for psychology it also hurt a lot of people and You know, a lot of people see him as, like, evil in the role that he played in there. Um, I think that he took a risk, and it paid off in some ways and didn't pay off in other ways. But just by the very nature of him taking that risk and trying to create and, like, risking it all, I'm going to say, like, he's a big-time bro. He had big-time ambitions, and I love that.
1: I don't—I can't catch a vibe on him, not going to lie. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like his study—like, his study that he's obviously very famous for is the Stanford Prison Experiment. Like, that's what he's known for. Mm -hmm. And— Like, being a prison warden, like, there's something, there's something, like, very imposing about that. Yeah. Like, that's what he was in the study. Uh, Yeah. Which is ultimately Mm -hmm. why, like, so much of this stuff happened. Yeah. But I, I can't catch a vibe, because I feel like a lot of professors are, like, exactly who they pretend to be in their experiments, and a lot of them are just not. Like, a lot of professors are, like, super low-key, or, like... Laid back or like sort of detached from their work in some ways mm-hmm. and I I can't catch a vibe on which one he is
2: Yeah I mean he made the mistake which he has definitely admitted yeah. like very publicly that he shouldn't have been the been the warden I yeah. think I think even in that scenario He's still a bro because he made a big mistake and then he just he, he owned up like, to like it. I got it And admitted it and like I don't know. I really I love then it. married the
1: grad student who told him about
2: it. Yeah, exactly Um, And I don't know. I mean like I respect people who make who make mistakes in the in the course of trying to do something good Lucy from Charlie Brown. Bro oh. right
1: now. Oh, yeah. You think oh, so? yeah.
2: Why?
1: Wait, which one's Lucy again? Bro. <laughs> <laughs> My memory is so bad. She's the one who's like always playing baseball with them, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lucy's such a bro. I feel Because like Charlie and like Linus are always trying to like get up to their weird uh-huh. and Lucy's uh-huh. like, nah, like check yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for that. I have a lot of respect for like the ways, the ways in which like, she ignores a lot of the crap that they give her And just like goes on about her life And like does her thing You um, know what I mean?
2: Yeah I'm gonna say not a bro um, Really? Yeah Cause she always like Charlie Brown is about to kick the football And then she just Takes it right away And he falls right on his that's
1: kind of a bro thing to do, though. Like, it's not. I saw, I saw you. Don't don't give me that. I saw I saw you wrestling your roommate this morning. Yeah,
2: but that was out of love. I would never like. Yeah, that's out of love too. I would never like. I would never like throw up an opportunity and then just like take it away. But it's not an opportunity. It's a football. They're different. It's a football, but he's like so psyched. He's about to. It's just a. It's a metaphor for an opportunity being taken away from you.
1: We got today. We got a great guest coming on for you. Definitely a bro. You say bro, right?
2: I'd say definitely, bro. Yeah, one for of our sure.
1: a great psychologist and one of our professors from last quarter, Professor Claude Steele. He's he's pretty like big name in the psychology field, which I don't think I fully realized when I enrolled in this class. But he's really well known for work on something called stereotype threat. Um, and especially its role in academic context, and that's basically the idea that, like, just the thought that you could be stereotyped in a certain context is enough to make you do worse in that context or feel less welcome or perform less well academically. He's a great guy, great, great person, very, very personable. I remember one of my favorite memories from that class is on the last day of class, we were all just, like, hanging out in the classroom afterwards, and when he left, he just turned around, throws up a hand, is, like, peace, gentlemen, and then walks out.
3: Yo. Cautious with the image that I'm giving. What used to be appealing is that I'm resenting. Feel like I ain't living, I'm dealing with so much. On the low, I'm acting tough, but I ain't been happy in a minute. And what's crazy is this is just the beginning. Riding around Vegas, trying to build my foundation. That immediate happiness is waiting, But I feel it's overrated. I'm keeping a clear conscience. I just want to do my own thing, a good heart. But what if I'm out here fighting for the wrong things? Became a daddy and start watching my behavior, helping running out of favors. It ain't about the paper, it's about what you gonna do with it. You on your music tip, but tell me is you the creator? These don't know how to act. I should have been a school counselor to see what they get out of that. All I want to do is help if it's a little. Got up in this game to really try to make a change. Want to settle down, but this is so confusing. I'm just going through a stage where I'm learning how to be brave. Keep your head up. Face. This is life, all I need is me Look into my daughter's eyes And then I get to water eyes If I die, I pray to God She know what father tried Word Cause we just wanna live our lives Embrace faith, win against all odds In our eyes to judge. That is not our job To be a man, it is not that hard We gon' kill him with kindness When they try to take you out your comfort zone And yo, it's time to be a man Understand, we gon' kill him with kindness And you know you gotta can't let them take us away from the fam We gon' kill them with kindness Now I'm thinking in reality what you think? Actually, I was thinking about stability uh-huh. I watched my single mother feed her for years Just to barely pay the bills I don't know that killing me I, I, But I don't wanna live like that Mama, I don't wanna see you live like that I told my little brothers we can build a new life For the ones that gave us life, we can get that back I know we tend to hold grudges I can't control it, I'm unfolding the emotion that I'm holding. Hope the way I saw it ain't the way I won't approach it. I'm just focused on the better me, this rap is my pedigree. And lately I've been feeling like testing me. She say she down and she says she wanna ride. I release the need to please or be validated by eyes in disguise. I'm just focused on what makes me come alive. I've learned to not take nothing personal. Bad environments have been my disadvantages. Now trying to be accepted it stepped me out of my box. And now these. Watch me like I got all of the answers But this is what I build for myself Realistic, always had to keep it real with myself So when they talk And it's negative or it's false We channel out the negative thoughts Without any help Cause we just wanna live our lives Embrace faith, win against our lives In our eyes to judge That is not our job to be a man It is not that hard We gon' kill them with kindness When they try to take you out your comfort zone hey yo, it's time to be a man Understand, we gon' kill with kindness And you know you got to hold your own Can't let them take us away from the fam We gon' kill with kindness
2: All right, we are in the studio with uh, Professor Claude Steele, Um, huge inspiration to to me and Evan. Both Um, had had the
1: great opportunity to take one of his classes last quarter. It was truly probably my favorite class at Stanford so far, honestly. Me as well. Yeah, wonderful.
2: Uh, Just a couple (laughs) notes about uh, the legendary professor. He has served as the provost of both Columbia and Berkeley, um, as well as the dean of the Stanford Graduate School of Education. Uh, But more recently... Got the distinct honor of being uh, our professor. Yeah, I think I mean there like <laughs>
4: that was the that was the top. That was the college oh, <laughs> I appreciate it. So
2: the course that we took with uh, Professor Professor Steele was called the Science of Diverse Communities, which I think is a pretty sexy title. Mm-hmm. Um, so Professor Steele, if you wouldn't mind answering in like two sentences, what is the uh, science and how do you create a, di- uh, a diverse community? Because obviously it's a quick answer, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the,
4: the ambition of the course is just to bring what yeah. we know in the social sciences to figure out the answers to those questions. Right, like, right. well, how do you actually do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we all come from different uh, points of view and backgrounds and have different identities and the like. And, uh, but, but how do you actually get a community where, mm. where people feel comfortable, like they can benefit from it, uh, unencumbered uh, by identity and undisadvantaged by identity? What does what a community like that actually look like how does it work how do you build it Mm. and so on so uh, I have an answer and that is you have to focus a lot on building trust yeah Mm -hmm.
2: and was that something that you felt developed through um the course or do you think that that is something that um sort of has been has been known for a while and I guess what do you feel like are developments um in psychology that have kind of brought brought you to that to that answer
4: yeah, I don't know if it's so much in the literature of psychology, yeah. although though I think a lot of it I can bring to bear to make that mm-hmm. I can build a case support yeah. for that uh, from that literature. But I, I think if, you know a lot of it comes from just experience of actually, it, it, you know, being an administrator, having a responsibility for a, a, a community, like a university community, and and uh, being thereby confronted with the challenge of well, how do you make this all work uh, and. Having that be a daily question right in front of you, you know, uh, uh, something you got to figure out on an ongoing basis. How do you make that? That that's what brought the question to the front of my brain. At any rate, Mm. you just said something that was really interesting to me, which was the phrase "unencumbered by
1: identity." Mm -hmm. So, how do we create a system where people are unencumbered by identity while still is is preserving culture still a goal there? Or at the end of the day, yes. Okay. So how do we do that? Yeah, that, that's the question.
4: <laughs> uh, so I mean, maybe I'll just a minute to get clear about the question. So let's say we're three people, we've mm-hmm. got different, uh, backgrounds, which is true. Um, uh, uh, and you know, it's important for us to know as much about those backgrounds as possible. It's, it's important for us to know about the possibility that we could have biases and in, 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 at play in these, in, in these things. It's important for us to know all these things. Um, but but how do we actually make it be the case that the, uh, in particular, a school or a workplace mm-hmm. uh, functions so that uh, each of us uh, is going to have an equal shot at getting what that place has to offer, right? what what it can, how it can benefit us, how do you how do you make that work, even though we do come from different backgrounds, and we have a lot to offer thereby. That's the standard. Um, a standard rationale for diversity is that you're bringing in different perspectives. And that's a, that's a great thing for problem solving mm-hmm. and for the enrichment of a community and the values and so on. Um, and, and how do you make it work? How do we do, we do it. And, and the, the simplest answer that, that, um, I think, uh, comes out of, you know, that course and talking a mm-hmm. lot about it with, with you guys and other people is that, well, in, in, so to make such a community work, you have to really expressly work on building trust among people and, and building trusting relationships. Mm-hmm. You can't take that for granted. A lot of us, I mean, we might want to uh, take that for granted, just assume, well, you, you guys should trust me. Mm. Come on, trust me. Well, you know, our history as a society makes that hard to do. Uh, and um, so that trust has to be built mm-hmm. in... in, in uh, developing communities of the sort we're talking about you have to recognize is this extra need to focus on that
2: do you think that because a common word i think that we brought up a lot in that course was like trust through relationships Mm -hmm. do you think that that can be institutionalized
4: i do i do think i do i tried to um i've just finished an article uh on that and uh the last part of it is how do you take this to scale Uh Mm uh-huh and um uh, there are some examples. Uh, one that I was especially impressed with that uh, I had you guys read about was that College of Chemistry at, at Berkeley, right. which um, is number one department of chemistry in the world uh, and graduates more women and places them in, in uh, distinguished academic uh, jobs, probably better than any other chemistry department in the country. So, what do they do? How do they yeah. how do they do that? How do women and minorities do just as well in that department as uh, men do? And and that's a distinctive pattern. None of the other physical sciences there uh, have anything like that, but they, that college does. Uh, I would say it's a combination of of helping students as they come in get the cultural capital they need to know what the program is about, mm-hmm. what they need to do, what they how do they need to spend their time. Uh, it and it helps them develop relationships, supportive relationships with faculty that they can that they can rely on. So right away, they they interview five faculty, and the faculty are are accountable. That is, they're interviewed as to how those uh, relationships are going. They're monitored as to how they're going, and so there's a there's a high touch. There's a lot of structure to the program, uh, and and I think in that, for uh, those of us from backgrounds that might for which for whom. Uh, trust might be more of a challenge. It helps us trust the mm. situation because we know what's, you know, we know how we're going to be graded. We know when, what is appropriate progress. We know that we've got this person's support in in reaching that goal, and you start to you start to relax and trust the situation yeah. out, out of those on the ground uh, features uh, of it, as opposed to a, a situation where it's just very laissez-faire. And nobody knows quite what you have to do to be good here, and nobody knows quite where they stand, and there's a lot of ambiguity in, in what's going on. Well, that that kind of invites in for, um, again, people whose identities um, uh, present hmm. a challenge. That that invites in a lot yeah. of doubt and suspense. You know, worry and anxiety, and so so. There's an example of what one uh, such a community might look like taken to scale. A little bit beyond maybe an institutional scale. I know you're from the Midwest,
1: from the south side of Chicago, right? That's right. So I was wondering, being from the Midwest, what advice would you give to people back home to reduce both segregation and threat in the
4: structures of our cities? Oh boy, if I had a, <laughs> if I had a real snappy answer to that, I think I'd I would uh, I don't know be a billionaire I don't know something but <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the president yeah, yeah maybe finally. I wouldn't be here talking to you guys let's it <laughs> <that way. laughs> uh, I, I I do think it is it is my hometown it's one of the most segregated cities in the country uh still and I think that segregation is part of its challenge uh there's not an equal distribution of resources and opportunities among the sectors of that city uh, and and i I think uh that's what, and the city pays the price for that uh, in in the highest levels of gun violence, I think maybe of any American city. I think probably the only competition is Baltimore from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I would, uh, you know, you'd, you'd focus on the schools. Actually, uh, our own Sean Reardon has shown with very compelling data, you should have him on on this podcast, uh, that this, the schools are doing a pretty good job in Chicago, actually. Uh, when you think about add on value and so on they're doing a pretty good job but the challenge of poverty and and disorganization especially on the south and west sides of the the city is just overwhelming um and yeah i i, I could bore you to tears explaining how that circumstance arose uh how the sort of ghettoization of m- many northern cities happened mm-hmm. and uh how a, a, a you know a Processes of decay and disintegration, and taking over of drugs and gangs, and all that happened. But nonetheless, that's the that's the challenge. And and Chicago, I I, I think, try as it might, hasn't really found a way of bettering the situation.
2: Mm. So taking this back to um, college campuses a little bit, and specifically at Stanford, um, do you think that Stanford has done a good job of building trust? Overall, but specifically like between students, um, and then what do you think could be? What do you think could make Stanford a like more inclusive, and then uh, I guess B, I guess a, a safer and more comfortable place for for all types of people.
4: Well, I I do think I do think Stanford is it does a good job, mm-hmm. and and that it is uh, uh can be leaderly in mm-hmm. this in this area of student culture and, yeah. and 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 the like. I think it has the resources, uh, it has the commitments. Uh, to make that happen, and and compared to uh, other places, I think it has an atmosphere of of openness, and uh-huh. innovation, and and uh, willingness to think in outside the box about how to do these things. Uh, all of which can be you know a recipe for success in in this in this kind of uh, of an effort. So uh, I I think it's a great place to go to college. Uh, in that regard, it has achieved a certain student yeah. uh, diversity and and it seems to, but you guys would be a better judge of <laughs> this than me because I, I'm not a student. In fact, I'm rather uh, removed from the age <laughs> category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
2: you could fit in. Uh, you, uh, you could fit in. You think I could roll with? Uh, <laughs> you could roll with yeah, the I know. That. Okay. Uh, Well,
4: I, I should do more of that. No, I'd, I'd probably <laughs> yes. be able to give you a better answer to, to this question. <laughs> but uh, but uh, these, the, uh, one thing I would say, these yeah. are really uh, – challenging things to accomplish, you know, as we talked about many times in the, in the course, uh, they're, they're not easy. This is, this is a big American experiment Uh trying to have a genuinely integrated society where all of our diversity comes together in a single setting like Stanford campus and, and tries to, to work for everybody. We're one of the few societies probably in human history that have tried to do such a thing. And so, uh, I don't think we should have the, the, fantasized expectation that there's going to be some simple way to make that just completely comfortable every day for, for every, everybody. I think we have to be realistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we need to give each other credit for the effort and the, and the persistence. And so when you see that I'm more, I'm more trusting, Mm -hmm. uh, than I am of somebody who, uh, claims to have a particular solution to any given day or month or whatever it's
2: like being humble and recognizing the flaws and also at the same time like being willing to to be uncomfortable a bit.
4: yeah and uh-huh. and to continue to work at you yeah, know the persistence yeah. uh side of the of the coin uh somebody you know not not being satisfied or not being defensive well we have the way to go now and that's mm-hmm. the, what we're going to do and it worked for it worked uh for the last class so it's going to work for that 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 that's the kind of thing you worry more about but the persi- the the thing that i i uh uh, trust more is is an openness to, to input and to different uh, approaches to to this effort and to the persistence that the person stay, that the attention stays on the issue mm-hmm. uh, and that there's there's a kind of constant uh, reliable trustworthy uh, <laughs> effort put in to uh, uh, having the, the diversity be uh, a feature of this culture of this student culture. that that people enjoy and and are proud of and and do feel like it's a benefit in their life.
2: So specifically related to comfort on campus, just very directly, how do you think that the administration should handle, or like how do you think Stanford overall, administrations and students, should handle super controversial speakers like Dinesh D'Souza, for example?
4: Well, I'm on that now. I'm on this faculty committee that Mm. is re-looking at cardinal conversation. Mm. And... and, uh, uh, you know, uh, universities are institutions that have an almost absolute commitment to free speech and to, and to open inquiry. That's the kind of that's the, c- the core DNA of, of, of institutions like this. That's what's needed for innovation and all of the things that uh, that we are so proud of. So I, I, I have to to uh, count myself on that side of the of the ledger. Uh, uh uh while at the same time uh understanding that you know some people some possible speakers i don't know there there's some line that you know a, a real a, a real hater <laughs> <laughs> i would have a rough time yeah. <laughs> supporting their appearance right. here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right uh uh but but there are people who have genuinely thoughtful and i guess i i guess i'd start looking at those. Uh, features of a speaker: huh. do, Are their views based on research? Are there are there views uh, logical and and do they connect to other people's views? And is there some scholarship involved there, or is it just somebody who is a complete provocateur? Uh, and there, you know, I don't know. You, it's it's I I I know free speech is as I just said uh I, I count myself definitely on that side of the ledger There's, there, there, i'm i'm an academic that's my whole whole life uh-huh. uh but it it, it I, I wouldn't race to help that kind of person come on campus. Mm. cuz it it does um so uh, what about signal- what about D'Souza? Yeah, if you were if just, you were the provost, well, I have very little for, respect for for uh-huh. D'Souza. I, I mean, yeah. just, just 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 so you know where I'm coming from, right? I right. I, I I don't hold him. I figured that his, much. His, yeah. his, <laughs> I guess that's not a surprise. I may I may be disingenuous to deny that, so I'll just be open about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think a lot of him, and I don't think the, I don't think the, the campus would be in any way disadvantaged by his not being here. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, there mm. is the principle uh, that I'd probably come down on if I were a, on a committee like that. I'll let them talk somewhere. Did you ever have to make a decision like that when you were provost
1: to either? Every day, all the
4: time. Mm. Yeah, not every day, but but a lot of t- you know a good deal of the time. So and certainly Berkeley is a, a national. When when I was at Berkeley, that it's a national center for these kinds of issues. Yeah, so there right. are always uh, pr- provocative. Uh, speakers would seek that environment out right. as a platform it's a public mm-hmm. university so you really have a greater obligation to welcome people all all uh, points of view uh and it's also got a nat- you know a history and a, and, a, and a national it's a national platform for for that so so that was a pretty common Part of my life.
2: What was what was like one of those decisions um that was that you can remember as being super difficult and like what was it like to experience experience that knowing like that you had the like the best of intentions for society as well as like your university and your students like how I mean first yeah. of all it must have been crazy difficult. It's hard. Yeah. It's yeah. hard.
4: I you know I don't have a, a, a simple rule to follow. Yeah. Or, nor do I come down the same way every, with with every uh, speaker or every right, uh, right. request for a speaker. Uh, what's his name? Yiannopoulos uh, Milo. Oh yeah, that was that was. Did you he know, come? When he were... did come. He did come. Yeah. yeah. W- was that when you were provost there? That was no. I oh, okay. I I'd, I'd left by uh-huh. that time. Okay. But but uh, I remember the 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 build up to mm. that. And uh, uh, he is somebody who's probably qualifies as more of a provocateur than bringing to the campus uh-huh. a, a really uh, uh, interesting or a uh, uh, perspective on things. Uh, you know, people with different points of view, will feel differently about that. But I, I, I in, again, in the interest of full disclosure, that's kind of how I regarded him as at yeah. least having a high component of just being a provocateur sure. as opposed to a substance. So I, I, you know, we let him speak, uh-huh. we let him speak. It, it turned out to be a real fiasco on the yeah. national scene, the footage of which still circulates, I see. Totally. Uh, <laughs> online and, and, and so on, but uh, uh, we let him speak. Where do you draw
1: that line between like provocateur and interesting new perspective, how do you draw that line, and how do you take into account like where you're coming from?
4: I, I suppose I look for the things I look for mm-hmm. are are scholarship or research as a, a, a and or at least thoughtful. Um, uh, it could be art, for example, or uh, it it could be drawing on on uh, music. It could be it could be a variety of of, of things, but. Uh, i 'd look for some thoughtfulness and some um you know track record of of making uh fruitful conversations to to communities uh as 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 to how my own opinion would come down uh that 's what i 'd look to am I going to learn something from this person or am I just going to be insulted and provoked uh so when you when you and wh- what do I know about this person uh so that 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 would be I suspect how I and how many people I presume would approach it is is to uh, evaluate the substance of what of the contribution they might make that way.
2: Uh, I want to transition a little bit into because um, obviously your, one of your most famous works is Whistling Vivaldi. And and the overall idea of of stereotype threat, and I'm curious of your thoughts. I mean, you obviously touch on this in in your book as well as what we discussed in class. But I'm curious uh, for like the for the uh, you know common person um, who maybe thinks about this a bit but doesn't think about it much. How do you mm-hmm. think that they can play a role in mitigating stereotype threat in society at large?
4: Well, um, again, I get, you know the mm-hmm. the the chicken soup answer I'm giving to everything these days <laughs> is, is is trust. Uh-huh. Uh, if I, if, if, if you're interested in me as a friend and uh, I, I'm, I'm less likely to worry that you're going to see me in terms of a negative stereotype. So just to, just as a, as a tip with regard to w- what's a strategy for avoiding the feeling of that in interpersonal relationships, uh, I think when we develop uh, a, a curiosity about other people and their experience and, and we learn how to tactfully pursue that, uh, that can be a, a strategy that. Uh, benefits that that enables people to have a broad social range. They don't have to you know people will trust you. They they don't need to think of you as somebody who's expert about their experience, but yeah. they they need to think of you as somebody who's who's genuinely interested in them and, and constructively <clears throat> interested in them. Yeah. Uh, and when and when that happens, which it does all the time, look at you two guy. Team <laughs> Um, that, that, then, then I think we trust that we're not gonna, you're not going to see me in terms of that, st- that that societal stereotype that's available for you. To, you sure. could see me that yeah, way, yeah, yeah. but but uh, we've got a relationship which is which surpasses that. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I, I get very comfortable uh, with that, and I, I think that's a good example of of a, of a general uh, strategy for uh, overcoming the the sense of that as an issue in your personal life. Mm, there sure. are many others, but but uh, if a person would would buy the book and read chapter 9
1: <laughs> specifically like this is a podcast about masculinity hmm. um so do you see masculinity or more specifically pro culture creating threat for women and if so which aspects of it and how do we start to work against that
4: yeah you said you said Oh, you said bro culture. Yeah, I, I, I feel like pro that, that's kind
2: of a, a term that we're starting to throw around. Maybe, maybe yeah. it'll become like a psychological term. So <laughs> that'd be sweet.
4: Yeah. Oh, I think everybody knows what you mean. <laughs> okay. But, uh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say if you need us to explain it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and what was the question again <laughs> about bro? Is bro is bro culture a like how do how does it do you see it as creating threat and
1: how do we start to transition to building trust like using bro culture?
4: Using it to or.
1: Or what? Or what? In it needs to change to make see, it not uh-huh. put certain people under threat anymore.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, in group uh, connections can be very appealing and warm and mm-hmm. supportive, uh, and and so I, I I think I get the pull uh, of it. But I, I at core, and this will not be some kind of an original answer, but um, I think I think there needs to be socialization and a set of norms that we have to respect each other, and that bro culture should not go past that. I, you know, I, I guess I can, it, I don't want you to take this as, as bragging, but when I was in college, uh, I was, uh, uh recruited, what's the term into a fraternity? Um, uh, like you, you rushed. rushed. Yeah. 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 I, so anyway, and I take, I was in the, agreed to be in the fraternity and then we had these initiations and they were like ridiculous. Uh-huh. I mean, they just, you know, you know what, this just seemed ridiculous yeah. to me. So I quit. Um, and, um, I think you have to develop an inner sense yeah. of, you know, I'm not going to people, you're not going to humiliate me or humiliate mm-hmm. other people, make that an enjoyable feature of being a member of this group. Mm-hmm. This group doesn't have some other basis of appeal. That's more constructive than, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think we should indulge that. Yeah, for sure. That hazing business is just, I don't know, an unfortunate tradition, mm-hmm. but not a necessary one.
2: Yeah, no, that's a, that's such a good point. Um, I remember one thing. That you said in class on the first day, we you were talking about this paper that we were later gonna read about, like broadly the kind of like plight of the white working class in um, in Mm -hmm. in the United States, specifically related to like industrialization. And I think the phrase that you used was, "If I had read this paper before um, the presidential election of 2016, you could have predicted the future." Mm -hmm. And in my head, and maybe out loud, I was like, "Oh." Definitely LF. I think I said it out loud. You said it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm curious as we're like coming into a new election year, do you think the state of things is such that uh that truth continues to exist and will cause the same kind of uh result um in this in this upcoming election or do you think that uh sort of situation and uh i guess a cultural trend has has shifted
4: yeah no no i i still think it's a major factor in in american politics and and again i don't count myself as a particular expert and i don't think these are this is a unique view but i do think any uh any, the, you know, for example, the Democrats, the contenders, the opponents of Trump uh-huh. will have to address the needs of his of his core voters, find out what they are, which I think probably and hopefully a lot of work has been has gone into doing that. And and find, you know, a message that is convincing, that uh, will, will get their attention and, and get get them um, so that they don't see have to see. Uh, somebody as uh, what term would one use for Trump make up your own some some so a guy a guy like him <laughs> as their- as there what's, be- what's your
2: what's your term what's your preferred term
4: well i i mean i If you can say oh, it. god i you know there's so many i can't <laughs> pick one criminal thug <laughs> there you <go>. fool clown <laughs> all those things seem quite reasonable eligible to, sure. to, to me as terms to describe him so uh, you know so, so people are are and in seemingly invested in him because he's he's an alternative to what they think is a worst op- option. and and I, I think the challenge in meeting their needs and recognizing their their situation in American society, the the dislocation that has happened uh, the, the, that article that I read is that talked about in the first day of class was George Packer's article in The New Yorker. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 recapitulated in his book called The Unwinding. And it's a description of uh, you know what has happened to the, is the economic uh, foundation of especially the Midwest uh, and the former industrialized cities in the Mid- Midwest, but all certainly the rural areas as well. And and when you read that, the thing that impressed me is how how, how many people are impacted by that dislocation. It's not a small sector somewhere hidden in a corner of a state it's all over yeah. the mm-hmm. area and in parts of california as well um people who've been frustrated by lack of mobility by lack of opportunity by you know lack of growth in their incomes uh, while others they can see all around them are thriving and and uh you know have zillions of dollars uh so that the the psychological experience of being in that position you have to have empathy for them that's 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 that can't make them feel that the society is working for them. Mm-hmm. And up comes this guy that kind of um, uh, uses, um, you know, a little racism and other things to kind of scare them into uh, being his political constituency. Uh, it's, they were ripe to be, I think, taken advantage of. and that's. I don't want to be paternalistic, but uh, I, I think that's part, in, in part what happened. And I think the the Democrats have to... Uh, Find a compelling, constructive way of meeting the needs of those people that are part of our society. So if you were running in 2020, how would you bill yourself?
2: <laughs> and if you wanna, well, like you a- guys <laughs> asked tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> you
4: didn't tell me this.
2: And if you want to announce anything right now. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm totally yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So only, only sort of. Like only what sort what of. does that like economic... I assume somewhat economic, at least. What does that message really, like, really look like?
4: Well, uh, but you, you, I, there's so many people on this campus who I think could give a, a, a better answer than sure. than I can uh, uh, to that. I mean, I, I feel like compared to them, I'm just a newspaper reader and not, <laughs> not a, a, a you know deeply knowledgeable about things. But I think of the standard things. Uh, certainly, automation is is going to dislocate uh, a lot of people, and we are we're barreling ahead. Uh, with AI and all kinds of, of other things that will indeed cause considerable uh, dislocation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have a broad enough discussion about the implications of that. How, what a society needs to do in order to remain a society where people trust and thrive in it uh, uh, while these things happen. Uh, you know, guaranteed income. Guaranteed health care, there has to be, you know, this is me speaking just out of my values, but I I, I feel there has to be some safety net uh, in in health care, in income, and in education that we need to provide. Those three areas in particular uh, come to mind Uh in this rant I'm in the middle of. But uh, those things come to mind as as real needs that uh, given what we know will happen, uh, the globalized economy and the uh, processes of automation. We know these things are going to dislocate people. Uh, so, if we, we I, I think a candidate has to find a way of, of pointing to the real causes of, mm. of the stress for this part of the population as opposed to saying it's those people over there, it's the immigrants. It's not the immigrants. It's not, that's, yeah. that is the classic, demonic, uh, demagogic. Uh, strategy of a politician to blame it on some other outside group to use xenophobia to uh, cohere a political constituency rather than try to uh, find a, a a genuine way of of communicating with people about what their needs are and what does what what are viable solutions. So that's what I would say. Now that <laughs> that kind of a, of a long uh, <laughs> probably academic uh, a- answer won't won't worked that well on the campaign trail. <laughs> but <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, those are the ingredients. you could yeah. definitely those are those things. to box something I, up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I believe in those in those three, you yeah. know, health care, uh, some some income and 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 some I- education. And, and if if we can guarantee uh, our citizens that kind of thing.
2: So to put that in real terms, would that be guaranteed like retraining, Medicare for all and universal basic income?
4: Something like that?
2: Gotcha. I, yeah,
4: something like that.
2: I, I, I can get down I'm, with that. I'm, I can, <laughs> I can negotiate, point but
4: point I, I think people, you know, people I grew up with, that's what they yeah. need. Yeah. And that's what they need. And if they don't get that, um, God, you, you, you know, you wonder what's the process by which a person becomes homeless or, or drifts into criminality. I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. And it's hopelessness. Yeah. And and then a sort of cynicism follows hopelessness. like. Well, you guys got, and I, and when, as soon as I start doing that, I can, Uh I can do things to you to take things from you. Uh, and, and if we create that, that box, that situation for people, it, it undermines the coherence of a society.
2: That's a a lot to chew on right there. (laughs) All I'm
1: saying is class deal 2020. (laughs) (laughs) I like
2: it. I like it. So, um, I mean, we were going to ask this question even before that, but, um, you've obviously spent a lot of time at a lot of different campuses and impacted a lot of them in, in huge ways. Um, just to finish up here, what do you see as like the next, what's, what's next for you? What do you, what are you excited about? And what, where do you, where do you want to go from here?
4: You mean in my dotage, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I yeah, mean. Yeah. Okay. All right. We can be frank here. <laughs> That's not what I mean. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I, 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 think, you know, where I can, can make, uh, the best contribution now is using that experience i've been fortunate enough to have had a great deal of it yeah. uh primarily as a as a researcher and a scientist but also as an administrator and um uh, that brings you into all kinds of circumstances and awarenesses of of things so i i i think uh i can help be a th- a, th- a thought contributor in in at this point in my my time that in my life that i can uh, I can help think through some things from uh, a certain perspective mm-hmm. and try to offer that as, as uh, something you hope is is of value and to people and useful to them.
1: What's the weirdest thing a student has done in one of your classes? <laughs>
4: uh, let me see.
2: Present company excluded. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Don't worry, I, w- <laughs> I, w-
4: I won't implicate you guys. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don't expose us. The please. weirdest thing that somebody has done in one of my, you know, because I. I've taught classes for fifty years yeah. so that's mm-hmm. a lot of you must have been you know I, I will you know Ted Bundy the mass murderer yeah he yeah. was in one of my he was what in my, the his, f- are you serious he was in my my uh, uh one of my psychology courses at the university No! Of wow Washington yes indeed wow so uh when you asked that that's the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> he, did, he didn't actually do anything in that class that I remember was uh, he that a good was student? the that was the he, no he wasn't uh, you know the, i I, I I don't know how much my memory is constructing things, yeah. and how much, how accurate mm. it is at this point. But I, I don't remember he was seen as a charming guy. Uh-huh. I do remember that. That's wow. That's wild. And, and he did wild. have a little visibility in the psychology department. He did. Yeah, he did have he did have as a kind of a uh, research assistant kind of guy. Interesting. Uh, he was in the psych department so yeah. um anyway that's that's, that's what crazy comes to mind wow mind. certainly <laughs> i don't the, think uh, the weirdest most dangerous horrible yeah. monster of a student I, i've ever had i can't
2: but. think of who could top that that's that's yeah. crazy yeah
4: yeah it was a long it was a long time ago all
2: <laughs> right and then last question we asked this to everybody at um at who is affiliated with stanford what's your favorite spot um at stanford university
4: my favorite spot on campus yeah i i do love my office uh-huh. my, uh, that's one thing that comes to mind i i i got it right away when I came here in nineteen ninety 1990 or nineteen ninety one jordan hall in jordan hall yeah. mm-hmm. uh it's I, it's it's just got windows and an arrangement that uh, that charms yeah. me and mm-hmm. soothes me so I do like that office uh and then when I came back it was available so I, I really, <laughs> I was really made happy by that. But there are, there are many beautiful uh, spots. Uh, I, I think of things that were near the house that I used to live in, um, kind of near um, uh, Robley. Uh, uh, if you just keep coming toward the heart of campus from Robley, straight ahead, mm-hmm. uh, to your left, there's that new fountain and grass and lawn that you can sit on that... that uh, uh, we lived about a block and a half from that, and we spent. Uh, I would walk my dog there, and so I have I have great affection for that little. Right, on. I think that's right.
2: where uh, Nomad is at the end of. Uh, oh yeah, tour. that yeah yeah yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. yeah. I haven't been in the, in that uh, spiritual center in, in, by Robley. Oh, Wendover? Nice? Yeah, Windover. Is that nice?
2: Uh, I've meditated there once, and it was super nice. Yeah, yeah it yeah. looks
4: beautiful. I, yeah. I When I went there, I could only look through the windows. It wasn't unlocked, but uh, oh, I, really? I got to try that. Yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah?
2: yeah All right. Well, thank you thank so much. Thank you
1: so
4: much. much. Uh, any, any last words for our listeners? Keep the faith. (laughs) All. No, I guess I don't have any great profound words. Okay. (laughs) All right. right. Keep the uh, faith. That's great. All right. All right.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Professor. We really appreciate it. Well,
4: thank you, guys.
1: It was fun. Wow. So Ted Bundy.
2: Yeah, I mean... Ted that, Bundy. That was just a big, big... Another name drop. Another, another name, name drop name from drop. Professor Steele.
1: I remember we would always be sitting in Professor Steele's class, and one day he's just like, yeah, I President Obama because I was just like chilling with Cornell West at this dinner. And yeah, like, what?
2: Ta-Nehisi Coates was also there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I taught it, Ted Bundy. Yeah. I don't know how I would... That's crazy that he mm-hmm. taught uh, Ted Bundy. I mean, that must... Haunt him.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly. Just like
2: think that dude was in your classroom. For anybody not familiar, Ted Bundy murdered like a ton of people. Yeah, like thirty. There's like a new movie coming out about him with um, Zach Efron actually who plays. Really? Him. Yeah.
1: Zach Efron's playing yeah. Ted Bundy. That's, like, a that's, a, whole- that's a little too close to home, honestly. Because like I could see Zach Efron playing some of that.
2: What? Hot. <laughs> being take. a mo- being a murderer.
1: I don't know. I've never gotten good vibes from Zach Efron.
2: Bro, I only get good vibes from him. He's a really? bro. Really? Let's just look him up right I, now. I
1: I just judged him from being in the Lorax movie. I think.
2: Oh, I didn't know he was in that. I only know him from being in High School Musical. Most recent news about Zac Efron- See, like, look at his face. Look at his face. Most recent news about Zac Efron is Zac Efron's dating history. Hey, do you know- A timeline of famous exes. None of them have been murdered, though. But do you know how Ted Bundy
1: murdered his victims? How? He had, like, apparently, like, he was decent looking. So, like, he would, like, charm them and then, like, kidnap them and kill them. Yes, but none
2: of his exes are, like, missing- well, Bro, for, care- now, oh, wait, you, for now. Be careful you accuse people of.
1: Yeah, okay. Maybe that's too far. <laughs> but also his face is really punchable, not gonna lie. His face? Zach Efron's face? Look his at that. Fa-
2: look at his face. I wouldn't punch that face. I would
1: punch that face so hard, so I would so many I would
2: times. give that I would give that face a uh, slap. You no, a I slap. wouldn't slap him. But I wouldn't slap him. He seems like a nice dude. I don't know about that one. This is a punchable face. This picture of him right here where he has like blonde hair and like a mustache, I would say is a punchable face. Yeah, see? All right, anyway, that's enough on Zach Efron. But just dude, look at him. This dude is oh, just—he's smoking. He, he is smoking hot. You can't deny it. Okay, yeah, he's jacked. He's jacked. Yeah. Okay, but anyways, uh, Claude Steele taught Ted Bundy, which is insane. Yeah. Um, some more interesting stuff from that uh, from from that interview that I found fascinating, where uh, where he came down on um, campus speaking. Yeah, me too. Um, and like where where we draw the line of when speakers should come on campus versus when they shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, I was surprised
1: he didn't. I was actually pretty surprised that he came down where he did. Like, I, I yeah. thought he, I thought for sure, like, especially with Claude Steele being, like, the man who came up with threat, uh-huh. that, like, he would have tried to maybe make the argument that, um, like, since a lot of these speakers are putting minority students under threat, that that's reason enough to not have them.
2: Yeah. I feel like part of the point that he's making, though, is that, like, by by allowing them to speak and then, like, not making a big deal about it, potentially that's how, like— to decrease the amount of threat like if if yeah. like de souza or somebody like awful like that came and like nobody went like there it wouldn't really do as much of an impact as if like de souza came and there was like a huge audience and like a lot of that audience just came because they knew it was like a big deal you right know? so i feel like that's kind of like where he, like I, he obviously like doesn't agree with de souza or like right, understands like the threat that that puts people yeah. under but i so i feel like he's kind of coming out of it out of like a pragmatic lens of like what's actually going to do like the most harm mm-hmm. you know
1: Right, no, for me, it was, like, a really interesting perspective, actually, because, like, I think I fall, like, pretty often into, like, that hardline trap, Mm
2: -hmm. but, like, that's definitely, definitely food for thought for me. Maybe maybe that is the best approach. Like, say you went to that event, right, as, like, some of my friends did, not... I don't know anybody who went for, like, the actual purpose of, like, wanting to see D'Souza because they liked him. But I know some people who went because they were just, like, curious about it. I had him, like, a final, or, like, an exam the next day, so I didn't want to go. And so, and, and, like, there were some people who, like, asked questions. And I guess the guy who was, like, curating the questions said, like, if you have a very controversial question, you get to go to the front of the line. Because, like, the people hosting it, like, SCR and, like, D'Souza and them, the people hosting it, and, like, they'll put all the online on like the you know 4chan and all those like far right Right. websites they actually want like super controversial left-wing people to like ask questions because they know that it like inflames and like helps them attract more people right no because like you know yeah it actually helps them it does
1: there was actually scr had this thing where like internally they had this betting pool Mm -hmm. where like whoever Brought the most, like, left of center friends to the event, like, Uh. awesome Prize.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, like, that kind of thing where, like, I feel like they almost don't really care about who the speaker is. Like, it almost doesn't, the speaker themselves doesn't matter. It's just, like, if you get people upset, it, like, makes your opinions or makes your, like, it, it makes your whatever you're doing seem like it's more legitimate.
1: Yeah. And you can frame it less in terms of, like, actual hate and more in terms of, like, what are my rights? Yeah. Right.
2: And, and more in terms of like, well, you should at least let us speak, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, so I thought that was super interesting for me.
2: Yeah. Because um, I did have a friend who went and like asked and like asked a question, mm-hmm. but it like wasn't like a super confrontational one. It was just like, it was something about like why you come to your beliefs. Um, and they like asked him to like he like like D'Souza like answered that question very quickly because he wanted to go on to like questions that were like more controversial really? yeah because like you look at like the titles of like their youtube videos that they post and it'll be like it'd be like dinesh d'souza destroys left-wing <laughs> snowflake who cries like <laughs> and quit school or like right, something right, super right. aggressive like that and yeah, like yeah. you know even though that's like not usually what happens in the videos so i almost kind of believe that like if we let them speak and then just like didn't publicize it at all like Maybe they just stopped trying to speak.
1: Yeah, I do think Stanford made a big mistake by putting him in, like, they put him in literally, for those of you who don't go here, like, they put him in the biggest auditorium Was it in CMAX? CMAX, yeah.
2: Yeah. Wait, did they choose that, though, or, like, did uh, SCR, like, ask for it?
1: I think SCR asked for it. Interesting.
2: Did it get filled up? I actually don't know.
1: Apparently it was full.
2: Yeah. But a lot of it was, like, non-Stanford people. It was mostly non-Stanford people. Yeah. So, like, more generally, um, where do you think, like, the proper way like how could Stanford do it differently because there have been controversial speakers on campus before yeah
1: I mean I remember there was like who was it like uh, Richard Robert Spencer last
2: year Richard Spencer or Robert Spencer? I think it was Robert Spencer.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, I remember Charles Murray came to my hometown a couple years ago.
2: Yeah. Um, and the, the interesting thing is, like, outside of like the academic world, like, people don't really know, like D'Souza Souza isn't that famous.
1: Yeah, he's you know? really not. Like, like, I didn't know who he was until someone told me, like, Dinesh D'Souza's Souza is coming to campus. Aren't you pissed? And I'm like, I have no idea who this you're is. Just like,
2: yeah. I
1: guess. <laughs> I care. Like. <laughs> and then like I read about him, and I was like, oh shit, like, yeah. I I don't know. Like, my mom will always say this thing about like why don't why doesn't the university just like put them in a room in some random basement mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also like at the same time i still i think i still am like in that mentality of like by letting them speak at all then like we we're putting students under threat
2: well it's just an interesting point because like I feel. I think one thing that uh, Professor Steele sa- said, and like he kind of backtracked on this a little bit, was um, that universities have like an absolute commitment to free speech. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure he used the word absolute. He said absolute. Yeah, which like I think he kind of backtracked on a little bit because he talked about like there being a certain point where somebody was like too offensive. Yeah, he said to, like provocateur versus yeah. like intellectual. Yeah, but like that, that idea of, of that. like a lot of people do adopt that more like hard line of like absolute commitment to to free speech. Right. You know what I mean? So like if we ask the question of like who shouldn't we allow, like, if it's absolute, then, like, theoretically, there should be nobody who's not allowed, which is, like, kind of a scary thought, you know? That's true. Because there are a lot of, like, extreme people out there. Yeah. You know? There is, like... Like, why wouldn't we let, like, a neo-Nazi speak or something, you know?
1: Right. Or, like, why wouldn't we... Yeah, I mean, at some level, people start inciting violence, and they're not constitutionally protected. Right. But, like, yeah, beyond that, like... But, like... uh, If we have an absolute commitment, like, the range of people who could get invited is, like... All of it things.
2: is anybody because the inciting violence thing is only if they're like if that specific speech were to like incite some kind of violence, you know right. what I mean? And
1: not even like that person's beliefs, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's wild. So I don't know. What do you What do you think is the right answer?
2: I think it's really like I want to give some credit to like the administration because like I think that is a really difficult situation to be in. You yeah. know what I mean? Like whatever you do, you're not going to please everybody, and like there's not necessarily like a right. There's I don't know if there's necessarily like a right answer um, because like what if. Some like what if the mainstream perceives something on like the more left end that like you might believe to be like extreme, and that person isn't allowed. You know what I mean? So, right. Like, well, I don't the know. thing that always reminds me yeah. of is
1: Israel Palestine. Like.
2: Yeah. Right. Like pro Palestinian speakers might not be allowed to speak. Right. You know.
1: And often they aren't actually. At Stanford. Uh, I haven't heard of any. I don't know. I don't know about Stanford. I know it was a big deal at Michigan when like because Michigan allowed Charles Murray to speak, but like a lot of donors, there was like a pro-Palestinian speaker who was going to come and then a lot of donors protested and they didn't let her, sh- her mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's tough. I, f- I do feel like if we're going to apply the rule like that, we should apply it across the spectrum.
2: So what does it mean? Like, what does that mean across the spectrum? Like if we shouldn't allow, so then if we shouldn't allow Dinesh D'Souza, you're saying we shouldn't allow like pro-Palestinian? No,
1: I don't, like- I don't think they fall into the same class, but I'm saying if we're going to allow Dinesh Souza or Charles Murray, we should at least allow pro Palestinians.
2: Yeah, right. But if we, let's say, because ideally, would you not have them allowed Dinesh D'Souza? Like, well, you know what I mean?
1: I think if I was, if I was Persis trail I would not have let Dinesh D'Souza speak. Okay. And maybe that opinion has shifted a little bit after this interview. Yeah. Because I think Clastio Steele brought up, Professor Clastio Steele brought up some really good points.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, In that respect. hmm But I, at the end of the day, I don't think I would have let him speak.
2: Because, like, on the other end of this, there was, like, there was also really recently that speaker at SLEE. I don't know if you heard much about this. Yeah. Who said something that was, like... Uh, not, not to, uh, granted it wasn't in their like lecture. I think it was like afterwards when it students was like someone was asking a question. Yeah. Um, they said something like seemingly anti-Semitic. I, I don't remember the exact quote. Um, do you remember it?
1: Yeah. It was like, I think it was that one mil- They like deflated the Holocaust death toll. Yeah. is what well, I remember. Like they said like 500,000 people or like a million people died.
2: That's crazy. Right. I mean, We're, that's insane. Is, like, when the
1: actual number is 6 million.
2: Yeah. Possibly more. Uh, but that's like insane. So like on that hand, like should that speaker not be allowed back you know
1: yeah i mean like there is a line between free speech and blatant misinformation right like at some level yeah i mean is there i don't know i mean like legally we have like things like libel and slander so like you can't tell lies about other people
2: right right about other people but like you can misrepresent historical facts and that still falls under under free speech doesn't
1: it yeah i think it does which is (laughs) up yeah yeah. So I don't know. I know. I know a lot of people in that community who were like hurt pretty personally by that.
2: Totally. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I don't know. I wouldn't I don't know if I'd prevent them from coming, but I definitely wouldn't invite them. back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a really tough spot for the administration to be in. Granted, I will say, like, at the very least, though, I wish one thing I wish about our administration was that they, like, were very open about how difficult this mm. process is, if they made statements along the lines of, like, this is a really, like, hard decision for us to make, like, understand that we're doing this with, like, everybody's, like, best intentions in mind, and, like, even if they said something about along the lines of, like, this person's views are, like, awful or whatever... But like we're still going to allow them to speak like or, or like even if that's not their opinion, like let's say that's not the administration's opinion. If they said something along the lines of like what their genuine thoughts were, you know what I mean? Rather than just like speaking in terms of policy, like I think right. that would go a long way with students in building no, like, like, humility,
1: you know? I, I know people who went to like Persis Drell and Susie Brubaker Cole and all those people's office hours. And the answer they got every time was like, look, we have to do this or else we're going to get sued. Like that was the entire logic. Right. That was presented Which is like, students.
2: which is fair logic. And like, I, I yeah. think that I'm glad that they like said that, but like, I think an answer of that along the line, a, a, in addition to like, like we're in a really hard spot here, like yeah. we agree with you. Like, cause I think to some extent they kind of do agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think just like making that a conversation would, would go a long way with students. You know?
1: Yeah. It's tough to do, but yeah, I agree. It's just transparency. Yeah. It, and that goes back to what Classio was talking about, like building trust. Yeah. Honestly, that's my biggest takeaway from every time I've talked to Deal is just Building trust. Trust and personal relationships are really what makes the difference.
2: Yeah, it. I have a difficulty of like I, he's definitely done a lot of interesting work, especially like his most recent paper on like how you take that to scale. Mm-hmm. I still don't like see how you can like really take that to scale. I, I understand that like the institutional level of like the college, uh, the Berkeley Chemistry Department that he was talking right. about, but I don't understand it on like a non-college setting or um like uh even even in college like administration's helping building trust uh among the community like at large not just in terms of like improving outcomes of like academic outcomes but in terms of like actual comfort and like um you know uh like uh, yeah i guess actual comfort within the community of everybody like around each other
1: yeah that's definitely true you know because you can't quantify that i do feel like my I, i agree with that i think probably one of my biggest um One of the biggest flaws I see in Professor Steele's work is, like, how specifically it applies to university context Hmm. or, like, academic context in general. You mean
2: because that can't be broadened out? It's tough
1: to broaden it out just because, like, universities, even though, like, obviously universities and schools are, like, people on average spend, like, at least 10 years in, like, at least, like, primary and secondary school, right? So, like, I get that that's very influential and important, but at the end of the time that, like— We spend another 70, 80 years of our life doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to recognize that, like, while it might start at a school and like, wow, that's a really good starting point. Like, I agree with you. Just like broadening it out is super tough.
2: Okay, what's uh? let's do final takeaways. What's the biggest thing you've learned from Professor Steele, either within this or within this like interview or just in general?
1: I think the biggest not this is more general for me. I think the biggest thing that I've learned from Professor Steele is like is that threat specifically. Like it's it acts individually, but it has institutional consequences. And I think like for me, that's sort of been like the biggest mindset shift because like I've always thought about like institutional individuals like separate, but I think threat is a really good example of a case where like they're one and the same. Uh, what about for you?
2: Uh, I think the biggest one for me is just like be genuine, like don't overthink things. Yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty it, pretty much it. Like just be comfortable with yourself, and like eventually, other people will be comfortable with you too. I said, excuse- Hot take. We're out of time for hot takes. Uh, your San Francisco Zoo and Gardens is a 100 acre park, 100 acre classroom, and 100 acre conservation resource Wait, center.
1: Are they the same 100 acres, and it's being used for three things, or is it three sets of 100 acres? I
2: think it's 300 acres. Oh shoot. No, it's definitely 100 acres, but it's like it serves multiple purposes. It's multi-purpose. multi-purpose. I like it.
1: Yeah. Efficient land use.
2: You're invited to see more than a thousand exotic, endangered, and rescued animals.
1: That's. 10 per acre. That's a lot. It's a San mat. Francisco
2: residents, seniors, and active and retired military receive discounts on admission. And children, uh, three years and younger, they are free. They're free. The zoo is free open children. every day of the year. For more information, visit sfzoo.org. The San Francisco Zoo and Gardens. It's a jungle out here, y'all. Oh, shoot. That's a, I, hey, really they us, they put, the put their the own right live in there. I'm, I'm yeah, impressed. Yeah, wow. State of the Human
1: is the weekly radio hour of the Stanford Storytelling Project. Wednesdays at 5 p.m., the show creatively weaves personal stories from Stanford community members around a single, common human experience. The theme could be about anything that sheds new light on what it means to be human, in the words of people here at Stanford. Tune in every Wednesday from 5 until 6 p.m. to 90.1 FM KZSU or on the web at kzsu.stanford.edu slash live sweet the podcast is also available on iTunes (laughs) why you just cut me off like that
0: I thought it was over I thought you were (laughs)
2: done the 28th annual I care classic bike tour will take place on Saturday May 11th in the South Santa Clara Valley Valley that sounds awesome do you care I care about I care about biking I do indeed enjoy a beautiful springtime scenery uh well stocked rest stops SAG support and a barbecue lunch at the finish you can choose from four ride distances: 20 miles, 50 k, 100 k, or a full 100 miles. 100 miles. Get more info or register at icareclassic.org or on Facebook at icareclassic bike tour. If you're a Stanford student, use the promo code icarestudent for a discount. This is not a race or pledge ride. Uh, sponsored by the Almaden Lions Club of San Jose. That sounds awesome. Yeah.
1: All right, y'all. That's all we got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening in, hearing from our great mentor and professor, Claude Steele. We got we got a great track coming up for you now.
0: All right, we out. <laughs> La gloire m'a frappé sec depuis toutes ces salopes, elle mouille. Et quand le buzz, il tombe à l'eau, mais dis-moi, est-ce qu'il rouille Un pote, c'est comme un frère rebeu, donc fais gaffe à sa souille. Tu l'as baisé, t'as fini, buté à boîte par son rouille. Chez Gay, faut respecter la loi, surtout la loi de la rue. Sinon, tu vas te faire buter dans un trotteur sur ma rue. Ou dans une Subaru, à la toupe à Kamarou. Car ma ligne de conduite, j'ai vite et accident de la roue. Claque pas des en boîte pour des salopes, ça c'est de la prime. Charbonné pour payer une vie, à Faire des concerts aux haïr, voir les jaloux noaïrs Priez Dieu qui m'épargne, des faux amis qui veulent me trahir Je prends mes sous dans le rap et ils me reverront jamais J'écris des bons sous Jack avec une grosse feuille d'année J'ai dépassé tous mes amis, ils me reverront jamais Jamais, jamais Je prends mes sous dans le rap et ils me reverront jamais J'ai trit des sous Jack avec une grosse feuille d'année J'ai dépassé tous mes amis, ils me reverront jamais Jamais, jamais Pour la vie au goulot continue mon boulot, j'arrêterai une fois que je serai joué par Pascal et Boulos. C'est pas le rap qui m'a fait manger, donc j'suis allé l'étape. C'est pas les potes qui m'ont fait gonfler, c'est le pond d'où m'a fait. Un bleu rebelle comme Yann M. Villa demande même à pas fait. Voir mon public qui fait en concert, ouais, mon négro ça le fait. Les voix chanter à chaque scène, pas trop me soucier de la Et tous ces faux amis qui viennent remplis de leurs idées malsaines. Reveux pas tout négro, sachez que le buzz est Je J'me dis qu'il peut partir à tout moment comme l'a fait mon ex. Alors j'm'efforce de taper comme un soldat à la caserne politique me ramène, ni même qui me malmène. Toujours jugé par défaut à cause ma couleur est Subir la discrimination en france ça me fait de la peine. Ouais, j't'avoue que ça me fait de la peine. Alors j'aime me barrer. Je prends mes sous dans le rap et me reverront jamais. J'écris des pensées sous jack avec une grosse fille d'armée. J'ai dépassé tous mes ennemis, me reverront jamais. Jamais, jamais. Je promets mes sous dans le rap et me reverront jamais. J'ai dépassé tous mes ennemis, reveront jamais, jamais, jamais.